0: You're listening to The Lisa Wentz Show. Thank you for being here. I'm thrilled to have you. Let's get started. Our guest interviewer today is John Barron. John is a senior teacher and teacher trainer of the Alexander Technique. He is also a voice coach to theater actors, voiceover actors, and business professionals. Prior to his career as a coach and teacher trainer, John was a successful actor working in professional theater, film, and television in London. Welcome, John
1: hey thank you lisa nice to be here
0: it's an honor to have you
1: good so with that and adapting to that form of communication expression what should your listeners be thinking about when they're when they're considering all that stuff
0: yeah it's an interesting question you know as far as the training. Is- Training is concerned on my end. It's very, it's very similar, right? You you still use language in a way that evokes an emotional response or really no. conveys meaning, and so the, the 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 core of the work on any kind of presentation or a talk or meeting strategies is the same. However, um, adapting to being on a screen, I think one of the things that I've noticed in terms of mistakes that people are making, and, and this isn't meant to criticize because how do we know how to adapt until we start doing it, right? And get feedback. And is that I feel like because they don't feel like they're being seen. Because they're uh-huh. you know, if you're doing a presentation through a Zoom meeting, you've got your slides up and you're just a little piece in the corner, right? On the on the screen. And it seems as though there's quite a few people I've worked with that feel like, well I'm not really being seen. So they they um I wouldn't say it's decreased their nervousness at all, but they tend to just read off their slides or they tend to just show up and speak without a whole lot of presence. And you still have presence. If we didn't have presence on camera, we would never have a commercial sell anything, right? (laughs) We we, we wouldn't have these crazy Academy Awards if there's no presence on screen. So, uh, you know, one of the things I really want people to hear with this is you still have body language. You still move appropriately. You still breathe appropriately and you still make sure that your aim, your objective is to connect to the listener. It doesn't matter if you're going through a device. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't get to just, you know, sit back and let the slides do the work for you. You still have to really talk to them. And I think possibly um, being even more clear and more concise than you would be in person because of the culture of the, I'm just going to call it Zoom culture. It's so um, it's hard for people to be on screen eight hours a day in meetings, and some of my clients are the are experiencing that and have been for a year now. It's a much more draining thing to have to be hyper focused into your computer, as opposed to walking from one room to the next and you know having spontaneous conversations and these kinds of things, which make us feel more alive. Whereas I think the the screen challenge is that it drains us as listeners. Does that make sense, John?
1: It makes a lot of sense, too. And I'm thinking, too, is that as we're moving into uh, the era that we're, we're in, what about the the vocal fashions that one has to deal with, the styles you know, that start to come out, the, the up-talk stuff, the vocal fry? What's your take here? How, how <laughs> are you dealing with that with your clients, et cetera?
0: Well, I love that question because it is part of the California Valley accent, right? So. Yeah. Uh, when I was in my training at Central School, I had to stop with a vocal fry. I had to stop doing that. And uh, because I couldn't... It's not that they were going to fail me, but they didn't want to turn out teachers that had any uh, slight, um, whatever, a slight use that was going to damage or sound unhealthy in terms of the vocal folds, right? And the vocal tract. So I had to get rid of that uh, vocal fry there and then... And interestingly, I came back. I know this isn't answering your question yet, but I will. I came back to California, and after a while, I thought, you know what? This is my accent. I'm going to have some vocal fry. I am going to have rising intonation, which in the corporate world we call uptalk, mm-hmm. because that's where I'm from. And one of my best friends, who's uh, the head of voice and speech at the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts, said something similar to me. She said, look, I'm from Manchester. I am going to have a glottal stop occasionally. That's who I am period. I have a healthy voice, but I'm not going to completely change my accent just to be a voice teacher. So in any case, I just want to I just want to stick up for my fellow valley girls out there. <laughs> First, and as far as um whether you're on screen or off screen and in live and in person doesn't really matter. We do want to have a rich resonant sound and what vocal fry is and I know you know this, but to say this to the audience, happens when we have low subglottal pressure. So when we don't have enough air to 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 speed through the vocal folds and make them move really really fast, that's when the vocal fry starts to happen. So if I if somebody comes to me and they say, you know, my voice isn't that resonant resonant and I say, "Yes, you've got some vocal fry. Here's how we fix it." We fix it by increasing your breath capacity. So we're giving we're giving that client a deeper intake of breath and the ability to Um, same way you would within a Shakespearean actor, right? The ability to speak for a long enough sentence to get get the energy going all the way through that thought as opposed to frying out at the end, or what a lot of Americans do, which is to trail off at the end. So it's really about building breath capacity is the answer to that. As far as rising intonation, I think rising intonation... Can can go if you are j- pretty aware of it. Once you become aware of the habit, is really what it's about. And if it, if I'm in person training, then I will give them physical objects to to uh, land with. So I will throw them a heavy ball, and then as they speak, they have to catch the ball. Uh, as they throw it, they have to throw out the ball so that it's they're sending their voice out in in a in a. Hmm, how do I put this, with with their pitch staying pretty much the same instead of the rising intonation up talk, which is when your pitch rises. So there are, you know, there's tricks and techniques and and, and training systems for that. But I think, I'm not going to get off that Valley Girl thing. I think that it's important for people who get that kind of feedback to remember, yeah, everybody has an accent. And maybe if something's really repetitive and distracting for the for this particular country or this particular uh, San Francisco Bay Area, then okay, maybe I want to change it or calm it down or shift it in some way. But ultimately, in the end of the day, it's about choices. Do I have the means to change? Do I want to change? And how do I want to change? Yeah. As opposed to, oh, I have to do this because it's embarrassing and, I, and I'm and i getting that bad feedback. You know what I well,
1: mean? I certainly do. And... I think it's so important that people really value their accents, don't try and change them, just become clearer, perhaps. But Uh I I like accents. I think it's great to have these different accents. But when some of them start to limit communication, or they can be damaging vocally, like the, you know, the Valley Girl vocal fry stuff, um, yeah, we want to perhaps think about it slightly differently. Mm -hmm. so another thing we've talked about the vocal friday up talk etc etc you're working with with people who are who are having to do quite a lot of public speaking and i love it that you in this conversation you're able to go into details to explain much more about what your vote what your vocal toolbox is or your communications toolbox is i think A lot of people will find that really quite important and fascinating to start to understand what i'm seeing is that that a lot of delivery that happens in public speaking comes from the this motivational um aspect and we have a lot of motivational speakers and i was going to ask you what your take was on that if they're wanting to inspire people how is it how is it best delivered? And and if you're trying to deliver something that's really important to you, what kind of things can people be thinking about more vocally or that's away from this just general habit of phony enthusiasm with the motivation?
0: Mm-hmm. So you're asking about people specifically who want to go into or who are already in the the speaking circuit as motivational speakers what's my advice to them is that what you're asking
1: i think there's that 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 absolutely but also i think people use that as a model and and copy it you know when they're giving small presentations now and again So it's not just the professional motivational speakers it's okay that establishes perhaps the style and the fashion but how is it being played out by a lot of the people that you might be working with who are giving giving talks, speeches now and again, rather than, you know, on the circuit three or four times a week.
0: Got it. I got it. You know, I don't run, and maybe it's because I haven't been aware of it, but I don't feel I run into that particular thing, the modeling of Hmm. motivational speakers as much. Mm -hmm. I have ran into a lot of, I want to sound like Eric Schmidt, but I want to sound like Eric Schmidt after 30 years of training on his part in the next five months.
1: You know? <laughs> right? I, I run
0: into that more often, right?
1: Um, the, the hairdressers, you know, they're, they're in the hairdressers and they want to look like, you know, yeah. a poor woman or something and I want that haircut. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, you know, look, I, I have empathy for this because, again, I'm here I am in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's competitive. And when you work with founders, they're they're in a heavy competition, right? And they're trying to raise money or they've raised a lot of money. They've got a lot of pressure on themselves and so on and so forth. So I get it. I I get the desire. And to be honest with you, it's one of the things I do well, if I can just, you know, promote myself here, is that I do take people from point A to point B pretty quickly. I know there's a lot of other coaches out there that will say things like, it's a three-month minimum to work with me or it's a six-month minimum to work with me. I don't believe in that. That that to me is too cookie cutter. You could make in ten sessions or less, sometimes less, huge amounts of improvements with people who really have the speaking of motivation, the motivation to do the work. So, in any case, but let's get back to the modeling part. I think that um, you know, mimicking and just and again, this may not be answering your question, but from my perspective, mimicking is not a great idea you you might do a little modeling of like, oh, you know, when that person that I'm watching, is re- it's really effective the way they speak. And I, I can see what they're doing to some degree. They're telling the story this way, or they really yeah. use their body language well. And we can always learn from each other. I mean, that's, we're human. We're going to learn from each other if we're open-minded. I think that's lovely, and I think it's fun, and and it's great. But when we start to think of the things like, oh, I'm going to do this kind of speaking because that motivational speaker is really successful and uh, so that must be the way to do it. I think that's a little bit on the silly side. I think that, you know, motivational speakers don't all speak the same, um, but they do tend to have a certain style of upbeat, extreme extroversion, um, Mm just get past your get past your blocks let's do this together you know that kind of thing almost like the tony robbins energy would be a really extreme example of that mel robbins the most booked female speaker in the world is also a little like that um, and it's not that she's not down to earth at all or that he's not down to earth at all um they show up as their authentic selves i think that they are being authentic but when we look at something and say, oh, well, that's how to be a great speaker. I'm going to be like them. You lose your authenticity. And no one, no one is moved, persuaded, or influenced by someone who is pretending, completely pretending to be someone else. Unless you are an extremely skilled sociopath, you can <laughs> influence people. If you're not, and you're trying to be somebody else, yeah, you're probably not going to succeed. Yeah. <laughs> How's that for an answer?
1: That's a great answer, actually. <laughs> I think, and I think a lot of people listening, or some of the people listening, may be th- thinking, like a lot of people do. Well, yeah, I want to make some vocal changes. I want to make changes in my communication, etc., etc. I then there's the there's the time, or perhaps even the finances for some, or for a lot. So with you how can you help people make significant changes in a short time and what does that really mean?
0: What does it really mean? Well, it means you know, in the first session with me is very thorough. I go through I go through pretty much it all. We look at the mindset. We look at, you know, whatever they bring to the table because there's varying levels of fears of public speaking. Sometimes it's just a little bit of nerves and butterflies, which many people get. Or maybe yeah. they don't see themselves at the same level as other people, so it's a switch in the mindset there. That only takes a couple minutes, you know what I mean? It's, it's bringing the awareness in. Uh, then we can go all the way up to intense fears of public speaking because of trauma. And I've talked about trauma a lot. Uh, you know, being raised by caregivers who told you to keep your mouth shut, uh, that you're dumb, that you have nothing to say. You know, I've I've dealt with a lot of people that have gone through a lot of abuse, both in the home, in the educational system, bullying, and so forth. So we have to unravel how that's affected them. And why am I good at being able to do this? Because my whole, you know, my, for those who don't know, my background, um, it, it wasn't, an idyllic childhood for me. You know, I noticed very young that my mother was an ill person, that she was mentally ill, and that I was not going to have uh, a normal childhood. I noticed it at four. And then by 13, I said, okay, that's it. I'm out of here. I'm going to save myself. And I, I left home and I took my parents to court to, you know, have California take me into protective custody so I could get into therapy and have a home and everything else. And I think that the work I've done on myself and my constant need to understand how the way in which we're treated affects us and then how we treat others uh, has given me a huge background in order to be able to pinpoint what exactly is the problem. Where, what is the core issue here that the person in front of me is dealing with that they haven't connected the dots to? You know what I mean?
1: Yes, and I, I remember, Lisa, you telling me that I was many years ago that you'd actually left home at the age of thirteen, and and I was always taken aback by that because that that takes great insight and courage for someone to do that in those difficult situations at that early age. So, you know, having having that as as a strength in a foundation i can yes of course it's going to translate into the work that you do with people because we really can only understand another when we can experience something similar ourselves and which is really i think what makes the a lot of the really great actors they're able to as vanessa redgrave says share their vulnerabilities with the audience
0: Yeah. And then as a coach, to be able to connect the dots quickly for people, not not too quickly, not if you don't really get it, um, mm-hmm. but to get to establish trust right, right away to, you know, my clients know I'm on their side 110%. They know that I'm rooting for them. There's no question about it. So the trust is, it happens pretty quickly with me, I think. And so yeah. the ability to quickly connect the dots for people is have them think, look at things through a different lens than they're used to. That will help speed up the process of healing any old wounds or just shifting the false beliefs. Beliefs are huge, right? And yes. then the, the work physically, you had said a minute ago, You know that's that's it takes a long time. You're not it just just like anything. You don't just suddenly start playing tennis and a week later you're you're Serena Williams or something. It's not like that, right? It does take time. But what you need in order to be a a, an effective speaker in your career doesn't is not necessarily the same requirement as let's say as I said before the Shakespearean actor at at the Globe or something, you know, in London. So it's a so you could start your journey and make huge leaps and bounds pretty quickly. And but, and I think that the, one of the things I want to say to the audience right now, those listening, that's something that many people don't believe. They don't believe or know or trust until they experience it themselves. So whether it's me as a coach, some other coach, if you are one of those people that is thinking through this, like, oh, I know I've got to tackle this public speaking piece of the puzzle because it relates to my life, my job, and et cetera, Um, but I just know it's going to take me so long. It's not going to take you that long. Dive in, you know, go for it.
1: Yes. I think the, the first step is perhaps the most therapeutic in just calling someone to set up an appointment and to start that whole process. And we've talked about starting you've, you've explained a lot about what you're able to bring to, to your work with people in communications what about the people who are considering about the time factor etc who are not who who are not the great shakespearean actors at the globe etc but they're people who are wanting perhaps to to work on a, a ted talk or a speech somewhere what what about them what about when are they ready when 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 are they cooked when and how are they you- ready that. yes as you as a coach how how do you get to the point where you start to realize well this is the we're coming to the end of what this person was originally needing so that you can pass them pass them along you know pass them out into um, into the public speaking world or whatever where, wherever it is they're going <laughs>
0: Well, you know, it's not as though I'm holding them hostage. <laughs> I don't have any shackles in my, contrary to popular belief, I don't have any shackles in my office. Honest? Um, no, I don't. I don't, you know. Um, that's a different profession. Let's, let's move off that. So here's what I think. You know when you're ready, when you, you mentioned TED Talk, so let's take that example. When you know that you have something to say, that you have a story to tell, You have something that you can say better than anyone else, that there is something you've experienced, researched, whatever it is, whatever the topic is, that you know that you have something to articulate that people need, and that you can share it through your own lens in a way that no one else can. And you have to ask yourselves those questions. What is my one story? What is my big story? What is it that I'm offering the world? You know? And then... You, right. That from there is where you can then start to write that speech or the script or bullet point it, work it out, you know, and start the work.
1: Right. Because it connects to to the the essence of the person and that that's the authenticity. Um,
0: yes. And, it, and hopefully connects to the human condition.
1: Yeah. Nice one. So on that note, I just had a, a final question, if that's right. I was thinking. Okay, I'm going to put, cast you in the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi here and just ask you, what's what's the vocal communication future look like to you?
0: To Obi-Wan? <laughs> 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 well, that was a left-field question, I'll tell you that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, to Obi-Wan no. Kenobi? Um, let's see, what, what does the vocal training look like in the future? Is that what you're asking?
1: Well, really what's the what's the vocal scenario we talked about how the the world's changing the demands of you know the lockdown the zoom etc what's happening with with large companies what's the old stage of a person standing up there in front of a couple of hundred people without a mic obviously that was many many years ago now we have our our modern world etc so people are listening to the podcast so mm-hmm. where, just where do you see the whole industry of vocal communication coaching going in, in the future and in your future
0: Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, I might be very naive in saying this, but I don't think as an industry, it's going to change that much. Yes, of course, people had to pivot, coaches pivoted to online training, and some completely pivoted 100%. And that's fine. That's their choice. But ultimately, in the end of the day, you know, the people not going back into the office as much, conferences going to be smaller. Look, I'm not a scientist. I don't know what's going to be happening with future pandemics and whatnot. It's likely we're going to have them. But, you know, I can't answer to that question. But here's what I will say. We have been speaking on stage for for thousands of years. When did Vespas yeah. step out, you know? And sure. we have needed to gather. We have been natural storytellers. Human beings are storytellers. It's what we do. We communicate, right? And the need to do that is just as great now as it was before the pandemic, and to some degree, I think even more so, because we've been missing the energy, the the collective energy of others. Thank you, John.
1: Thank you, Lisa. I enjoyed it.